All right, back on the Young Turks. We've got a lot of great guests for you guys today and tomorrow. Jordan Klepper is going to be back to talk about his show on Comedy Central. Dahlia Lithwick's coming up next. And tomorrow, John Delaney on the program, presidential candidate, former congressman. So looking forward to seeing him on here. I think he'll be our 11th presidential candidate that we'll have on. Don't forget the rally we're doing in Iowa, speaking of the presidential elections. June 8th, I'm going to be in Des Moines, Iowa. And it now the location and the time is set. Franklin Junior High, tentatively three o'clock, tyt.com slash rallies, where you can sign up and you can get more information. And now it looks like we are also going to go to Cedar Rapids, Iowa on Sunday. So if you can, please stay for the weekend so that we can go to Cedar Rapids together as well, okay? So keep on looking at tyt.com slash rally for more information. All right, I'm gonna read you a quick Trump tweet because it is breaking news. Donald Trump has just tweeted, on June 10th, the United States will impose a 5% tariff on all goods coming into our country from Mexico. Until such time as illegal immigrants, illegal migrants coming through Mexico and into our country stop, of course, that's all caps. The tariff will gradually increase until the illegal immigration problem is remedied. So not happy to just pick a trade war with China. He has now started a trade war with Mexico. So buckle up, brace for impact and I'm very curious to see what the markets are gonna do tomorrow. But I don't know how long the markets and our economy can withstand all these different trade wars that Donald Trump is starting all at once. The only silver lining is that they are not actual wars. If he gets into deeper and deeper trouble, God knows what will happen. But will this plan work in stopping illegal immigration or undocumented immigrants from coming into the country? Of course not. So. Donald Trump said he's gonna get tough, he put kids in cages and the list goes on for all the terrible things he did at the border. And guess what? A number of undocumented immigrants went up, not down. Because it's not about that, it's they're running for their lives. And that's the fact that you're putting a 5% tariff in Mexico is not going to stop that. Because Donald Trump fundamentally misunderstands tariffs, trade and immigration. He thinks that China pays the tariffs. No matter how many times people tell him, including his top economic advisor, that's not how tariffs work. American companies pay the tariffs and American consumers pay the tariffs, not the other government. He won't listen and in this case, he keeps thinking Mexico and the other countries, in fact, all three Mexicos are sending us their worst, right? No, it's not the government's like, okay, who are we gonna gather up? Okay, we got all the criminals, etc. We're gonna put them together and we're gonna send them into America. That's not how immigration and migration works. But that's what happens when you have a fundamentally unintelligent, uninformed president. We've got to change that as quickly as possible. Okay, so now, sorry, that was breaking news, so I wanna do that for you. But let's go on with the interviews that we have scheduled. Joining me now is John Ziegler. He is a journalist and a talk show host as well. He's at freespeechbroadcasting.com. He's also at Mediate, he is a conservative. I've talked to John before, we had an interesting discussion about Sarah Palin a long time ago in a different studio. But John, welcome back on the Young Turks. You have a great memory. I do, no, I actually really enjoyed that conversation. I thought we had a real exchange of ideas even though we didn't agree, obviously. I agree with that, actually. Yeah, so John, you're in an interesting situation here because 
you're a rare conservative who not only started out as not believing in Trump, but has remained that way. Most of the the never Trumpers or whatever category you want to put them in have folded, and and in fact have become obsequious to Trump. Glenn Beck's a, a, a prominent example, but there's a lot of them. Lindsey Graham, perfect example, is now kissing Donald Trump's ass all over TV. So I want to talk about impeachment, but first, because you've written about it. But first, before we even do do that, so you, there's no question. I talk to you. I mean, you are a diehard conservative. So why not Trump? Well, because unlike the people that you mentioned and others, I actually believe in my principles, and I am not what I refer to as a cash conservative or a click conservative. I write what I believe, and I believe what I believe because it's based in principle, it's based in logic, it's based in truth, at least my view of the truth. It's not changing. I do not believe that Donald Trump is a conservative. I don't believe that in a rational world he would represent the conservative movement. What I what has happened in the last two and a half, three years with this coup within the Republican Party is the most depressing thing I've ever seen in politics. It is outrageous. It's absurd. I'm not making any money from this. I, I might like most of the people who are still left on my side. I have been hurt economically by this position, but I don't care because I sleep well at night, and I believe that history will judge me far more kindly than they will judge my counterparts who have caved in to, as you say, kiss Donald Trump's ass. Uh, as he is some sort of god king, when in fact uh, he's a con man. He is a man who does not believe in the truth, and he is a dangerous, dangerous person to be president of the United States. So, look, it's actually not complicated that he's a con man. He's been a con man his whole life. Everybody knows it. The only re reason why uh, everybody doesn't call him that is because uh, the right wing has collectively decided that they're going to back the con man, and the mainstream media is cowed into being neutral. Uh, the guy has a whole history of uh, criminality and running one con after another. But let's put that aside. What, what are the things uh, that you think make him not conservative? What are the conservative principles that he is against? Well, you, you've already started the show with one of them. I mean, he's in favor of tariffs. He's not. He doesn't understand tariffs. Uh, I mean, he, he's not in favor of restricting spending. Even the tax cuts well, were not paid for. Uh, they were effectively taking a loan out from China. Uh, these are not conservative concepts. I, I, I think that his only conservative positions are based in what he believes his cult wants him to do. I think he would change in a moment if he thought that the cult was going to cheer him more loudly uh, for that change in position. I don't believe he believes in anything. Uh, there are other things that I, I don't believe uh, that are conservative, and and I actually do agree with him in concept and in some things. I live in Southern California. I'd like to see the illegal immigration problem uh, under control, but. Uh, Nothing he's doing is going to do that. By the way, where's our wall paid for by Mexico? That was a, always a con. That was never going to happen. And so, uh, you know, it's and to me, the biggest thing is he does not accept truth as a bedrock principle. And uh, to me, I'm a truth guy. It's all, I live my entire life based upon the truth having value. And he has destroyed single handedly, has diminished. The, the the accountability for lying to almost zero. And to me, other than that, nothing else matters, as I often say. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? When you diminish the value of truth and to nothing and the damage of lying to nothing, I almost don't care about judges. I'm in favor of Kavanaugh and, and conservative judges and all that. 
But to me, there are some things that are more important than that, and the truth is one of them, and Trump has single-handedly destroyed the truth. So John, one, one last thing before we move on to impeachment. Uh, but as you just correctly pointed out there, he's playing to the crowd. If the crowd responded in a different way, he'd run a different con. So are you more discouraged that 90% of Republican voters like what Donald Trump is saying and don't mind that he's lying? I have to tell you, um, and I've done this before, but I've not done this in, in your presence. I, I believe that people like you have been at least, and I underline at least, somewhat vindicated in your long-term view that I had long disagreed with, with what the nature of the conservative base was. You know, as a talk show host, you do these events and you meet people and you think, well, these are just the crazies. These aren't the representative uh, of the of the larger uh, conservative base. That was wrong. Uh, and I, I have to, the most depressing part of this whole thing is I have to acknowledge that there is at least a tinge, if not more than a tinge, of racism that was keeping the conservative base together throughout all these years. I did not believe that, I did not see it. I thought it was an unfair attack on conservatives. And I now realize that that is absolutely true. Now, to what degree we can have a discussion of that, but there's no question that racism was part of what kept conservatism together. It was not about fiscal conservatism. It was not about conservative principles. It was not about the Constitution. Look what happened with the Tea Party movement. No one cares about the Constitution anymore. These are all the same people. They were the Tea Party people less than 10 years ago. And now they're believing in all sorts of different things because they got a different con man running the show. So uh, I feel incredibly disheartened that I misread to a large degree uh, what was making up the conservative base. I, I, in retrospect, I have to say I was a little bit, uh, always a little confused as to how Republicans were doing so well in elections because I knew that a majority of people did not believe in quote unquote conservative principles, but I always just pres presumed it was because Democrats couldn't get their act together. Now I, I have a, a different view of that. Well, look, I, it actually does take a lot of courage to, to admit that. and. Look, if this is the first time you're seeing John, you should go back and watch our old debate about Sarah Palin. Okay, John is diehard conservative. It's so it's it's not like he's you know a progressive coming along and bashing Trump. And and look, if you're if you care about the truth, those are the conclusions you'd come to. But a lot of people make money or based on on selling these stories. Look, Beck was against Trump. And then he started losing money like crazy. He started losing his audience. He started losing that base. And then he turned around and put on a Make America Great Again hat. And so that's how that game is played. Well, I will say that I was understanding of the nature of the conservative movement media far sooner than most people were because I understood that this was a business, not a cause. This is conservatism as a, in a media sense is a cause that's pretend is a business pretending to be a cause. That's the con. They pretend that they're in favor of whatever conservatism is at the moment, but it's really just a business. And you mentioned Glenn Beck, who I consider to be a friend, and I have been very disappointed by uh, some of the things that he has done recently. I've defended him in quite a uh, few ways because he's in a unique situation with a lot of people working for him, employees relying on him, and people losing their jobs because he was losing audience. And so I think that needs to be taken into consideration. But, but by and large, this is all a con. This is, this is partially why so many of them embrace Trump. He's one of them. He understands the con better than they do. And that's what conservative media is. That's why I got out of talk radio about a dozen years ago, by and large, and got into other things, because it was, it was frankly like being in the mob. 
that's what this is. And it's not a coincidence that the leader of that group now is effectively a mob uh, boss himself and Donald Trump. So John, uh, finally, let's turn to impeachment because you don't impeach someone for lying. You don't impeach someone for not being conservative enough or even being a con man. So what do you think Trump should be impeached over? Well, I come at this from a truly unique position because I don't know if you're aware, but I have a very good friend who's the chairman of the budget committee, a Democrat John Yarmuth. And John Yarmuth has publicly acknowledged that I changed his position on impeachment uh, to be in favor of impeachment. And now he's one of the leaders of the uh, what might be called the impeachment caucus. Uh, so I have been in favor of Trump's impeachment for a long time for, for a number of reasons. But if the, specifically, I actually have some reasons that are different than, than what most people are giving. I, I personally believe right off the bat, he's in violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution on a daily basis. This does not get nearly enough publicity. And if he was a Democrat, Republicans and conservatives would be screaming about this constantly. That's if you were looking for what you're going to put in the articles of impeachment, that should be right at the top. I believe that the firing of James Comey was impeachable, not because he doesn't have the right to fire his his FBI director, but because the firing of Comey makes his statements to James Comey, specifically, I need you to go easy on Mike Flynn, I need your loyalty. That makes those statements clearly obstruction of justice. I would add, similarly to that, something that Robert Mueller could not possibly have known about, which is that I believe the firing of Jeff Sessions the day after the midterm election. Now that we know what he did with that by hiring Bill Barr and Bill Barr's active uh, muting and it might even argue obstruction of justice himself of the Mueller report that the firing of Jeff Sessions, who had recused himself from the Russian investigation, was a clear act of obstruction of justice. Those are just three things that are right off the bat that we know about. Then there's all sorts of things within the report that I do believe go it to the direction of obstruction of justice. And frankly, I'm not even sure how it is that Robert Mueller, who I think went easy on Donald Trump, possibly because he was afraid of this whole witch hunt charge against him and wanted to make sure that everyone viewed him as highly credible and above it all and played right into Trump's hands. I don't understand, having read the report, how Robert Mueller even, quote unquote, exonerates Trump on conspiracy, because we don't know whether there was a conspiracy because there was so much obstruction that it was impossible to find this out and Trump didn't even do an interview. I think, frankly, there are answers in his interview that are impeachable, there are obvious lies when he says he doesn't remember things that of course he remembers, a man who claims to have the best memory of anybody in the world. So the, to me, having been much in favor of Bill Clinton's impeachment and removal of the law from office, the impeachment articles against Donald Trump are voluminous and they are far more powerful than anything Republicans ever dreamed of having against Bill Clinton. But whether or not that'll actually happen, I have my doubts because I think we're living in a world of cowardice. And I think we're living in a world where people don't read. And I think we're living in a world where uh, having a cult by your side is your greatest political asset. And Donald Trump has that. And the conservative media and the Republican Party are scared out of their minds and will defend him to the death. John, one last quick thing here. Uh, so you have all this overwhelming evidence and it's I mean, even if you didn't go to all the things that you mentioned, just on obstruction, 11 clear cases in the Mueller report and campaign finance violations, his co-conspirators in prison right now. Um, but yet the Democrats do nothing. Uh, what do you think is going on there? Uh, why do you think Nancy Pelosi is refusing to impeach what is basically her uh, the opponent, the, the, the other party's uh, president who has done all these criminal actions? Why has she turned from the resistance to the assistance? 
I wish I had an answer to that. I have spoken to Congressman Yarmouth about this uh, numerous times uh, privately. Um, and I, I think he believes that she understands the best interest of the party and, 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 and he has faith in her and what she's doing. I, I think it's a misreading of, of the Clinton impeachment personally. I think there is a, a great myth that was created that Bill Clinton was helped and the Democratic Party was somehow helped by Bill Clinton's impeachment. Please look at history. The next presidential election, less than a year later, about a year later, after Bill Clinton's impeachment, was won by the son of the man who, who Bill Clinton defeated uh, against his own vice president. So you cannot argue that somehow the, the Democratic Party was helped or the Republican Party was harmed by impeaching Bill Clinton. Look at the next uh, several congressional elections, including the one right after Bill Clinton's impeachment. Yeah, Republicans didn't win by as large a margin as expected, but they still won, which back in the 90s was a, a new phenomenon in the House of Representatives. So I believe that there's a grotesque misreading of history that is causing people to be too afraid of doing the right thing. And I don't know whether that's gonna carry the day or not, but I fear that it may. All right, John Ziegler, uh, read him at Mediate.com and of course, freespeechbroadcasting.com as well. Uh, John, thank you for joining us, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, when we return, uh, we've got Dahlia Lithwick also on the issue of impeachment. Uh, she's, uh, in my opinion, one of the top legal reporters in the country and she has an interesting case to make that is very different than John. So uh, let's uh, come back and, and, and talk to her. <laughs> All right, uh, back on the Young Turks. We've got a lot of uh, great guests for you guys today. Jordan Klepper is going to come back uh, and talk to us in the next segment. Uh, so he's, of course, from Comedy Central and from The Daily Show in the opposition with Jordan Klepper. Uh, and he's got a new show coming out called Klepper. Uh, so we're going to talk about that next. But I want to stay on impeachment for a second. We just talked to a conservative columnist, uh, John Ziegler, who thinks Trump should be impeached. Now let's go to a legal reporter. Uh, Dahlia Lithwick joins us. Uh, she wrote a piece in Slate Magazine called Democratic Reluctance to Even Utter Impeachment is Becoming Untenable. Dahlia, it's been a long time. Welcome back to the Young Turks. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Uh, we used to have you on all the time back when we were on the radio. Uh, so I, I missed your mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before we get to the politics of it, first let's talk about the, the legal aspect of it. Is there enough here to pursue impeachment on legal grounds? Well, I think that one of the problems we had right from the get-go is that we used the Mueller report as the template for impeachment. And of course, the standard for impeachment isn't uh, did Bob Mueller find that you obstructed or that you colluded? So that was always, the bar was too high. If you look at the articles of impeachment against Nixon, uh, there are a lot of behaviors that don't rise to criminality that we could be talking about. And so I don't think anybody doubts that just the basic framework of impeachment even post Watergate could be met right now. That's not the question. The question is, do we set the bar too high? Okay, and so if if the bar was at the right place, what are the different things that Donald Trump could be impeached for? I mean, I think anything. You know, weirdly, if you listen to Justin Amash in Michigan, he's putting on a clinic right now about. 
you know, the president's obligation to take care, that's a constitutional term, the president's obligation to put the country first. Long before we get to questions about criminal conduct, we just get to questions about is the president conducting himself in a way that, you know, forget high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, is he acting in a way that puts the interests of the country first? And so I think let's set the baseline where it should be and not at did he commit crimes, which by the way, per Mueller, he did, but that's not the line. Yeah. So I think that there's a couple of different issues here. One is, what is really an impeachable offense? And so I was just talking to John Ziegler, who's another conservative who thinks that Trump is a con man and we can't have a con man as president. And and so he's, you know, was was there with you on on some of the um, reasons to impeach, even short of criminality. And then on top of that, you have campaign finance violations that his co-conspirator is currently in prison for. That could, to me, that ends the conversation. One guy's in prison, the other one is not. They did the same crime, they did it together. Why are we even having this conversation? Okay, then you move on to the Mueller report. 11 instances of obstruction of justice. Uh, any other person would be prosecuted, that's an obvious fact. And, and then you've got a monuments clause, and then you've got all the other things that are on there. So it appears to be an overwhelming case. But yet, Nancy Pelosi seems immovable. Uh, first, why? What do you think is going on in her mind that makes her, I mean, if I'm being honest about it, protect the president? She's not protecting the president. I think she is trying to play this complicated long game wherein she says, look, I don't want to lose the House. I don't want to lose the Senate. I don't want to do anything that the American people are not ready for me to do. And therefore, I think she's upended the who leads and who follows. She keeps saying, and I don't think in her head she thinks she's wrong, the American people aren't ready for this. They're not where you and I are. And so we're gonna slow walk this and have a bunch of investigations and we're gonna have hearings and we're gonna uncover things and unearth things. And there's gonna be this aha moment at which the American people say, right, right, now we understand all the things you just said, you know, Watergate and uh, Deutsche Bank and uh, uh, colluding and conspiring and obstruction. We're not there yet. And I, I think it, I think this is the real question you're asking me. She doesn't seem to understand the American people are not gonna get there without her taking us there. And that's the problem we're having is that the American people are not going to wake up and say, I'm ready. That's Congress's job. Yeah, so I, of course I'm greatly frustrated by her leadership, uh, but I'm frustrated on many different counts with her leadership. But on this in particular, um, it's the number one problem that Democrats have. They never make their case. And then they go, oh, the American people aren't there yet. Well, maybe if you tried, maybe if you actually, like Donald Trump blares from a megaphone daily, nonstop, his case. His case is nonsense, his case is riddled with lies, it makes no sense at all. But he's got a megaphone and he uses it. Whereas the Democrats hide in the shadows and in the corners, afraid to make their case. Dahlia, how could they not see that? That 
yeah, it might make a difference if you actually presented your side. And, and I think in fairness, that's why everybody's so frustrated with Mueller, right? Because Mueller made the case in 448 terse pages of declarative legal sentences. He said, here are 10 obstruction offenses that I would charge if the Office of Legal Counsel didn't preclude me from charging, right? That's it, we're done. That was one of the articles of impeachment against Nixon obstruction. And I think what you're saying is why does she feel like if we have some more hearings or we have you know, another uh, investigation or somebody else testifies, then we'll know the thing that we don't know now. We know everything now. Everything we know now, by the way, we knew from the first indictments that Mueller filed a year ago. So we, we're, we're backing away from facts that are actually known. And we're saying, well, yeah, we know all that stuff because we know all these Russians have been uh, indicted. And we know that Manafort and Flynn and everybody else has been indicted. And yet there's this one other thing that if we just knew it, the American people would be ready to move forward. And you're quite right. The frustration is that, you know, the Republican worldview is like we start from the presumption that we're going to indict and then we find facts. And the Democrats seem to say we have all the facts we need, but we need two more facts and then we can move forward. It's, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, well, in fact, the question I asked earlier in today's show is, is there any crime that Donald Trump could commit that Nancy Pelosi would impeach for? Because we now have, I mean, two crimes crystal clear, campaign finance and obstruction. And then many others that are possible to prove if you actually went through the proceedings. So could he shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away with it? Because Nancy Pelosi wouldn't pursue impeachment? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that she wants to build a case predicated on things we don't yet know. And you and I both agree, the case is done. We have vastly more uh, evidence on Donald Trump than Republicans had on Hillary, but her emails Clinton or Hillary Benghazi Clinton, and they move forward. And it's just, there's a, a question around conviction and certainty. And I think that, in a weird way, if I had a network that just said Benghazi, 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 and convinced uh, part of the electorate that a crime had been committed, right? Treason, treason, witch hunt, witch hunt. This is much easier. There isn't an analog, I think, for progressives where nobody is saying, you know, don't pay attention to the tiny details of the facts. Uh, we're going to go ahead and indict. Uh, there isn't that. And so I think in some sense, Nancy Pelosi is waiting for something to rush in to the media sort of informational sphere that will close the case. And yeah, yeah, we just don't do that. Look, in a sense, so they, the conservative movement has Fox News and then they do the lies over and over again propaganda. Uh, the progressive movement, to be honest, has us, right? We have the TYT network and we don't do lies, we do facts. And we repeat the facts over and over again. His co-conspirators in prison, his co-conspirators in prison, etc. But the Democratic Party leadership can't stand us. There's no, there's no equal machine on the left wing, on the Democratic side. And, and so, but it's definitely not about us. Pelosi, even when she said she wouldn't do impeachment, said, oh, our voters want us to do it. 
but it's not the right thing to do. Look at that. I mean, whereas the right wing exalts their voters, no matter how heinous they are, the Democratic leadership seems to have great disdain for their voters and their base. Am I seeing it wrong, Dahlia? Doesn't it seem like that? I don't think you're wrong. I think that there is a, a, a feeling uh, that the voters aren't with us and we can't make them be with us. And so we're going to wait. And some magical thinking is going to, you know, by virtue of ponies and unicorns, like bring them along with us. And you're quite right. I think there isn't that sort of force of will to say, we're all in this together. We're talking about impeaching and that's what we're going to do. I, I, I think it's got a million analogs, but I think that it's both the strength and the weakness of the progressive community is nobody tells us <laughs> that facts are facts. We want to investigate ourselves. So I, I think the larger issue that you're flagging and it's worrying is we're in a posture where Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler saying over and over again, this is a constitutional crisis. This is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this and also infrastructure. That has to be wrong uh, as a sort yeah. of normative matter. That's not the right answer. But I think that the we we jack it up to eleven and you know indict and uh, put people in jail and have show trials, which is what we're hearing on the other side isn't the answer either. And so I, I'm not super confident what the answer is. Yeah, well, I am. <laughs> so I mean, the, they say uh, you're exactly right. Nadler says it's an unprecedented constitutional crisis, and I won't do anything about it. That's insane. And so. Look, he, you start impeachment proceedings, and then we're gonna have a conversation about Don McGahn. Like, everybody in Washington assumes that the whole country read the Mueller report, and they know that the president told the White House counsel to end the investigation and to lie to Congress about it. Nobody knows that. Yeah. Nobody knows that in the country, because the Democrats never pursued it. Do they not get that? Are they? I think they are that dense, aren't they? I think the most important thing you just said, just as a legal matter, is that initiating an impeachment inquiry is not the same as impeaching the president. It is two on a 10 scale. And the idea that Pelosi and Schiff and Nadler are like, we're not even going to open the door on asking questions because that looks like a 10 on a 10 scale is exactly the thing you've just identified. That you can have hearings, you can have an inquiry. It doesn't mean you've impeached. Let's all stipulate that even if they impeach, the Senate is not going to follow suit. It doesn't matter. This is how you teach the public. This is what happened in Watergate. You have hearings. And the idea that we're not even going to initiate the beginnings of an inquiry. We're not going to have hearings on C-SPAN hour after hour where Don McGahn and Hope Hicks and all the people who are named, as you say, in the Mueller report, but nobody knows what they said, testified. That's what shifts the balance in Watergate. And the closing the door on that and saying we're not going to do the end outcome, which is that the Senate ratifies our impeachment, is the most backward thinking way of approaching this that I could think of. All right, Dolly Lithwick. 
Please read Erin Slate, she's a great, great writer and clarifies these issues. Thank you so much for joining us on the Young Turks. Sorry to be grumpy. No, no, not at all. That's exactly, that's the situation we're in. Um, all right, so when we come back, uh, Jordan Klepper from Comedy Central, he's got a new show called Klepper. He actually talked to a lot of progressive groups for his new show on Comedy Central. It's really interesting. Come right back, we'll tell you all about it.